0: During this last year, I've been working on a kind of confidential project. You all remember when I went to Scotland a few years ago. By the way, we're going back this September. if We have a few open spots if anybody wants to join us. Did you remember I went a few years ago? What I didn't tell you is what I found while I was there. In one of the ancient stone ruins On the island of Iona, I was spending some time reflecting and praying one day, and I noticed this strange kind of misplaced stone in a corner, and so I went to look at it, and suddenly the stone shifted a little bit. So I I moved it a little bit more, and I found behind this stone this ancient cracked jar, now, before I tell you anything else, I need you to promise something for me. You can't tell anybody about this. If you're watching on Facebook, don't tell anybody about this, okay? Because what I did, I, I probably was supposed to turn it into an archeology span society or something, but I, I was so curious, I took it home with me. And well, you, you might know this about me, but I have a tendency to kind of misplace things and somewhere between getting home and unpacking my bag the jar went missing again, until this year, when I was working at home during all this pandemic time. And one day I was cleaning out a corner of my closet and there it was, I was so excited to see it again because I'd never had a chance to open it. So then I was like, I'm not gonna waste another moment. I I opened up this jar and it kind of fell apart as as I did. And what I found inside was this crumbling ancient scroll And you know, since I am a world-renowned Greek scholar in hiding, I decided to put some of my mad linguistic skills to the test. And you're not going to believe this, but I think what I found there was the personal journal of Philip. Coincidence, isn't it? Not quite sure how it got to Scotland from Rome. Maybe some monks muggled it out when the barbarians were attacking. Who knows? But regardless, it's now hidden in my house. You all didn't know how cool your pastor was, did you? So like I said, it's kind of been crumbling, but I do have a few pages of it, and I've been working on translating it. And so this morning, I want to share with you some of what I found. It starts on the 17th day of Kislev in the year 33. Entry. The most bizarre day of my life. What in the world possessed me to go out into the wilderness road anyway on that day? I mean, the sun was up. It was the middle of the day. I should have waited. I mean, it was, it was blazing hot. Of course, then I would have missed him. Could it have been God leading me? Or is that just what I want to believe so that I have an excuse for what I did? I don't know. But if this gets out they might kick me out. 24th day of Kislev, the year 33, seven days later, entry. It's been a week. He was the most exotic man I've ever seen in my life. I I found out later he was from that strange place called Ethiopia. I've only seen someone with skin like that a few times in my life. So dark and smooth like the sky at night. But it wasn't just his skin that was striking. It was also his clothes. The colors were bright and vibrant. They flowed around him like rivers of red, orange and purple water flowing down a beautiful black mountain. And the two together, these bright colors against his dark skin, were mesmerizing. So I started walking a little faster to get a closer look. And I could gradually hear him reading something, but the words were strange at first, the accent so different, I couldn't quite make it out. I thought he was speaking another language, but gradually some of his words started popping in my ears and making sense. And that's when I realized he was reading from Isaiah. Talk about clashing worlds. How did this man, who doesn't look like anybody I know, get a hold of a scroll of Isaiah, an Ethiopian? What's he doing with one of our prophets? Before I knew it, I was in his chariot with him, talking to him, and the longer we talked, the more I could understand him and his accent, and the more comfortable I began to feel. And before too long... I realized that he had made some joke about the temple leadership in Jerusalem looking uptight like they'd just eaten the sour olive. I started to laugh because I'd never thought about it before, but they do. And there I was laughing about my own priests with this man from another world. I guess that's where it began, but the longer I rode with him and the more we talked, the more natural I felt It was like his strange skin and clothing and confusing accents all began to fade to the background and I didn't notice them so much. We were just two people from two different worlds, sharing a single moment and time, maybe not so different after all, or at least that's how it seemed, until I found out the truth (laughs) that changed everything. the 30th of Kislev, year 33, six days later, entry. It made my stomach cringe, a eunuch. And he thought Isaiah was describing someone like him. I guess his story was a lot like that description, being led to where part of him was sheared and slaughtered like an animal in the queen's household. But it was way more than I wanted to know. I wonder if he noticed me pulling away, stepping back in the chariot. I, I'm not sure how obvious it was, but I could feel my body pulling back. I told him I was sorry about what had happened to him and how isn't it interesting that the ancient scriptures can seem to be talking about us right now. Then I told him about how the ways of that Isaiah's words reminded me of somebody else I know named Jesus and what had happened to him. He, of course, hadn't heard of Jesus before, so I had to go all the way back to the beginning of our ancient stories. He knew some of our stories, which really surprised me. Apparently, he has been interested in different religions and had just come from Jerusalem. Of course, they wouldn't let him enter the inner temple since eunuchs aren't allowed there. So He worshiped on the outside and picked up a scroll of Isaiah and learned a little bit more. But when I told him about what happened to Jesus, about what he taught and did, I could see his eyes light up. I told him of some of my favorite stories, like the time Jesus healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath, and about the bleeding woman that Jesus touched. And then I told him about the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus was able to change the question that everybody was asking that day. The Ethiopian was really impressed by that one. I told him about Jesus even healing a Roman centurion's servant. But after all of that, I told him about what happened, about the crucifixion and the resurrection, and how when I read Isaiah, it seems to me he may have been writing about Jesus without knowing it. I should have stopped there. I could have avoided the whole incident, you know. But my big mouth kept going. And the next thing I know, I'm telling him about what happened on Pentecost and what God has been doing among us and how we had all gotten baptized. I really wish I hadn't brought up being baptized. Why did I have to tell him about getting baptized? The 11th of Tibet, 33, a week and a half later, entry. I keep thinking about what happened and what I did. I still can't tell anyone, they might kick me out. Lord have mercy. The 12th of Tibet, 33, entry. Did I do the right thing? I don't know, maybe. His question keeps ringing in my ear. The 13th of Tibet, 33. That question. I really wasn't ready for that question. What is to prevent me from getting baptized? He asked just like it was no big deal. It completely threw me. My tongue was caught in my mouth. I didn't know what to say and... So yes, I froze. I didn't say a word. But my mind was racing at the speed of war horses, and my mouth started pounding. What is to stop him from getting baptized? Well, everything, of course. For starters, he's Ethiopian, a Gentile. This is for Jews. This is our story. He's not a child of Abraham. Of course, I guess he could convert and be circumcised. But still, even if he was Jewish, he is a eunuch, for crying out loud. Forget the whole circumcision problem. He's a eunuch. Does that even count as a man? Does it make him more like a woman? I don't know. But I do know that even Moses wouldn't let him in the temple. And I just decide to let this guy get baptized crazy. I don't have that right. But there he was pulling the chariot over while I stood there with this stupid blank look on my face. And of course, there just happened to be a random pool of water right there in the desert. I still can't believe my bad luck. And my mouth is just hanging open. And I was thinking, oh, dear God, what am I supposed to do? I mean, really? What was I supposed to do? Lord Jesus, wherever you are, have mercy on me. The fifth of Shavat, the year 33, three weeks later, entry. I said, "I don't know if I did the right thing. Nobody's out there baptizing a Gentile and certainly not eunuchs. Right or wrong, it's done and I'm going to have to live with that. I never did answer his question, what's to keep me from being baptized, but I started walking to the water with him, and I kept thinking about those stories I heard about Jesus that I just told him about Jesus, and the way that Jesus was always asking a different question than we were, and how he'd end up welcoming the wrong people, and but then I thought, you know, even Jesus didn't welcome eunuchs, but he did sure get mad when people were excluded. And so, yes, I broke a sacred law. I don't know. Maybe Jesus will be okay with that. Besides, if I have to decide one way or another, well, I think I'd rather err on the side of welcoming eunuchs and those like him and probably even baptizing them Because if I ever see Jesus again, I I think I'd rather apologize for welcoming too many people than to have to answer to him for excluding people. So yes, I did it. I baptized him. And maybe I'm just justifying my actions, telling myself what I want to believe. I don't know. I still haven't told a soul. Maybe I never will. Maybe this will all just go away. It's a fluke and it will stay hiding in Ethiopia and I won't ever have to worry about it again. I I can only hope. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. The third of Nissen, the year 34, two months later. Entry. Peter? I can't believe it. Peter has done it too. The news is all over the place. He baptized a Roman centurion, Cornelius. Everyone's freaking out. If only they knew. (laughs) That's nothing comparing to baptizing a eunuch. The 10th of Nisan, the year 34. One week later, entry. Things are getting really heat up. They're calling for a council in Jerusalem to talk about it. I wonder if I'm going to have to tell my story. But if I do, what will happen to me? I don't know. But I just keep thinking if Peter has done something like this too, then maybe it's not about what I did or what Peter did. Maybe this is about what the Spirit is doing. I'm not sure, but apparently this isn't going away after all. It just keeps getting more and more messy Lord Jesus Christ son of the living god have mercy on us all unfortunately the rest of the journal is crumbled away that's all i have but philip he's got me thinking the radical inclusive nature of the gospel does get pretty messy at times even the apostles won't get it right a lot of the time. They will be surprised and challenged by what the Spirit is doing and how the gospel keeps taking root in new groups of people, and it challenges everything they thought they knew. In one way or another, the church will keep asking that same question. The eunuch asked, well, what is to prevent them from being baptized too? And as the story in Acts and the story of the church for 2,000 years now keeps playing out, the answer becomes more and more clear. Nothing. Nothing can keep them, whoever they are, from being baptized. Which has me thinking that Philip has made a pretty safe bet. He's betting that God will welcome that transgendered eunuch. And he's betting that even if he doesn't get it right, God will welcome even him, Philip. My guess is that Philip probably needs to be reminded of that from time to time. He seems a little unsure of himself from these journal entries. You know, sometimes when you're out on the wilderness road, all alone in the scorching heat, You might just need to know again that there is really nothing stopping even you from being covered in the healing waters of God's welcoming love. Not your theology, whether you got it right or wrong. Not your messy attempts of helping others. Not your doubts or your fears. Not your race. Not your wealth. Not your poverty. Not your gender identity or sexual orientation not your failed prayer life or your failed marriage, not what family you're born into or how your children turned out, not your grades in school, not your performance in your career, not your politics, not your nationality, not even the apostles themselves. If you are willing to pull the chariot of your life over and get out of the driver's seat, The Spirit of God is ready to wash over you again and again and again, because here's the thing. God apparently doesn't just tolerate you and me and Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. God desires you and me and Philip and every eunuch out there. There is this radical, inclusive welcome at the very heart of God. And it's a desiring love for you, and for everyone who is so very different than you. And that welcome, it's offered to each of us in the baptismal waters. Many of you, I know, have already received that gift. Some of you have not. But let me tell you today, there's really nothing from preventing you from getting baptized if you want to say yes to that love of God and commit your life to following Jesus's way of living out that love, then let's talk sometime about what it might mean for you to get baptized. But for all of us who are here right now today, that same welcome is offered to us in this table, this holy table of bread and cup that we come to again and again. We take the bread and the cup together together, remembering that we are sharing together in something holy that makes us part of one another and part of the life of God, connected all together in some deep mystical way. We are welcomed together into the banquet and the joy and the love of God's feast.